Episode three, license to talk. Marky, we're bringing in the righty. It's <laughs> it's summertime. Our next guest is Joe Gannon. He's a 12-year professional baseball player, two years of scout, three years of coaching, and a damn great bartender. Thanks for coming on the show, Joe. Yeah, no problem. I'm joining. Joe, you have an interesting story because you your whole thing is around an interesting pitch in the knuckleball. You started playing ball in the late 70s. You went to Bishop Timon, 92-96. You go to Bana, Canisius. You coach a little high school. You do a bullpen catcher in the Buffalo Bisons. You play ball, play pro ball, and you meet some interesting people all along the way. Tell us how how does how did it get started for you? Because it's so hard to get around this area. It's more hockey, uh, lacrosse now. Baseball, it's really hard to break it coming from Buffalo because we don't play all year round. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think back when I played, it was even harder. I think nowadays there's enough, uh, with social media and everything, there's enough uh, exposure for kids that are really exceptional baseball players or hockey players or whatever it may be, lacrosse, for them to get exposure. But when you're talking about um, baseball back then, it wasn't the social media wasn't as big. It was based on hearsay. If a scout could come and see it, which nobody's coming to scout uh, in twenty degree weather to see a high school kid play, unless they've heard great things. So, uh, in, in that matter, yeah, it was it was a little tougher. Uh, mine was kind of mine was you know circumstance plus family uh, plus people that just believed in me. So. Uh, I was very blessed, very lucky to have the people that kind of stuck their neck out for me. Uh, when I was in high school, Cy Williams, who was a, a close friend of my family, who used to be at all the games at Kaz Park, was a legendary scout in the area. He saw me one day, found out that they needed a bullpen catcher for the Bisons. And at that point, I wasn't even catching. I was a, a shortstop. And he said, well, you know, you're a good enough athlete. Why don't you go down there and just do the job? And uh, that he recommended me without even seeing me catch, which was nice for him to stick his neck out for me. And then it kind of started from there. So that's just word of mouth. You hear that oh, Bison's need a bullpen catcher. I'm going to go down there. Intimidated at all when you get down there? Or? Oh, yeah. So I, this this was uh, my first day in a nutshell was uh, I'm this skinny little runt who's uh, uh, you know a, a senior in high school. Uh, I go down there, walk into this locker room. All these grown men are run, running around there, and uh, you know the most I've ever caught is a tennis ball coming from a friend of mine. You know, I played baseball, and I think I'm cool, but you know, not till I walk in here do I get straightened up. So uh, they give me a uniform, they give me catcher's gear, none of which fits because I'm just a kid. So uh, I go walking out in the field, and and they said, hey, uh, you know, this is the bullpen catcher, and the team had just gotten back from Florida. Um, uh, I walk in the door and, uh, or I walk on the field and they said, oh, great. Well, you can catch the next, one of the next two guys that are up throwing a bullpen. And I said, all right. You know, I'm like, whatever I got to do. So, uh, uh, I'm walking around. I don't have a glove. I don't have a catcher's glove. So I turn around and Tom Prince is standing there and he goes, here, you can use this glove. So he throws me a glove and he's like, you know, if you need anything, let me know. So, uh, there's a six foot eight right hand. I'll never forget this for as long as I live. His name was Mike Rossler. Okay, he wasn't a household name, but he was every bit of six eight, and he was throwing every bit of 91, 92 miles an hour. 
Now, in today's world, everyone's like, well, so what? Well, I hadn't seen anybody throw over 80 miles an hour in my life. Yeah. So now I got to catch this guy. Nothing fits me. I got stuff hanging off me. And I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Major League. Right. Okay. So the first baseman in Major League is Pete Bukovic, but he plays the first baseman for the Yankees. Okay. Yeah. And the, he's like the, a hard Kind of like Steve Balboa kind of he, guy. He's, he's like this hard-nosed, gruff guy. Right. Exactly like that in real life. It's <laughs> so, Pete Bukovic, not Steve. I'm sorry. Pete Bukovic. And so, so that guy played for who? No, he was the roving pitching instructor for the Pirates at the time. Oh. So he was down there watching the pitchers. So he, the guys, most of the guys in major leagues were probably connected to baseball yeah. somewhat. So yeah. now you're meeting your guys. So now this guy gets up on the mound, this uh, Mike Rossler, and he's throwing to me, and he's just playing catch with me, and I'm like, holy cow. Pete Bukovic is standing behind him. So they tell me to get down. I squat down, first pitch, right by my head. I mean, it was right down the middle, right by my head. I didn't even get my glove on it. And I'm like, whoa. So now everyone's kind of looking at me. The next two, I kind of whiff. I just kind of I get glove on it, but they just shoot out uh, 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 into the into right field. Like I just thumb <laughs> just them out. Them? You know what I mean? Pete Bukovic turns around. Stops the bullpen session you know, with all these players looking at me and says, "Get that fucking kid the fuck out of here! I don't ever want to see him here again." Oh my god! And he's the pitching instructor. He's the roving he pitching instructor. Rose so from uh, different different from the big leagues. No, from the big leagues all the way down to the minor leagues. He's the head guy for the Pirates. So now I'm like, oh boy! So I'm standing there. My catcher's equipment is drooping off me, and I have a decision to make. You know, do I tuck my tail between my legs or? So I'm standing there, and I'm like, I'm kind of frozen, but at the same time, I'm like, no, screw this. I can do this. So I squat back down, and he says, I don't fucking think you heard what I said. Get the fuck out of here. So now Tom Prince comes over and goes, scooch over. I'll take care of it. And then a, a man by the name of Joe Lynette, who was, this, uh, who was the catching instructor for the Pirates, was one of the nicest men you'll ever meet, um, comes over to me. And he goes, come on over here. I'll teach you how to catch in 15 minutes. And he did. And then I was able to handle myself little by little, better and better and better. And then it got to the point where it, it was uh, a lot easier for me. It's amazing how softball flow works, isn't it, Marky? You just, hey, go down there. You're, you're, you're the bullpen catcher for the Bisons now. And you're like, what? To, to this point, who, who was your coach and who was the most influential coach you had to that point? To that point, well, I had uh, – Various coaches. When I grew up, there was Cheech Parisi and Don McAndrews, was Del Sassers, uh, Mr. McAndrews. And then I had uh, uh, Mr. Yergi. Jackie Yergi was, was great in uh, JV for timing. He was just the constantly upbeat, happy guy. You know, he taught you the game, but he was great. And then I had Don Colpoys at Canisius, who was great. Um, you know, and then there were some guys that I had as coaches. Uh, uh, that I learned maybe what not to do, right? You know what I mean? How they handle themselves, and 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 that was that was a good learning experience too. You know, I tell people all the time: you can pull uh, positives and negatives from a lot of different things, and either way, they're they're teaching tools and learning tools. Doesn't mean you agree with everybody. It doesn't make them wrong. It right. just means it doesn't mesh with you, and you can still learn from. It. Oh, that's a that's a great point that more coaches and players need to think of. When, when they're playing youth sports. I say it all the time, Mark. So, 91, 
we're bullpen catching. You're doing, a, you know, how old are you now? You're at the time you're 18, yep. 18, 19 years old. And at the time, Mark, that's Pittsburgh is our affiliate. So Barry Bonds. Is yeah, those, those are those on a big league. Yeah, the really, really, the last really good uh, team. Terry Collins was a the manager there. Who just left the Mets last season. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of great. I was so lucky to, the time that I spent there to see a lot. Such good guys. And the veteran guys, I tell everyone that I've ever met, that the most I learned about being a professional was when I was the bullpen catcher because I, a long time before that, my father always said, the smartest man in the room is the guy who doesn't say anything till everyone's done. Right. So you listen. You be a sponge. You take it all in. And you don't have, like I just said, you don't have to take all the bad stuff in and use it. Just keep it there as information. So I was a sponge. When a veteran guy showed up there, I didn't care if I was annoying or not. I sat right next to that guy. So, you know, uh, whoever it may have been that got sent down, you know, for a little bit, you know, I sat next to that guy. I listened to their stories. I listened to how they handle themselves, uh, what they do uh, in the offseason, how they work out, you know. And, and that was, I mean, that was awesome. It was a great learning experience as far as not just for sports but for life on how guys handle themselves. I think Sid Bream's still trying to round third to this day. <laughs> he didn't he... – so when you uh, you're with the Bisons, any interesting stories or guys that are down there on a rehab assignment that you could you could share with us from those Pittsburgh days? Uh, you know, with the Pittsburgh days, they were only there for a couple years when I was there. So by the time I got there, they were kind of fading out, and Cleveland was on its way in. Uh, but that's where I met Wakefield. Wakefield was this up and coming first baseman who started throwing a knuckleball and a ball and shot all the way up the ladder. Oh, so he was a first baseman. He was a first baseman as drafted, and he was hitting a buck sixty. <laughs> and they said, "Listen," but someone saw him throwing a knuckleball in the outfield and said, "Listen, you might want to give some thought to it." And he went from zero to one hundred. He was unbelievable that year. I mean, he shot up the ladder. I, I remember those years. Do a lot of knuckleballers start off as fucking around with it? I, I would say I would say every person that's ever played baseball throws a knuckleball. Really? No. That being said, not everybody can throw one when they get on the mound, and sure. not everyone can throw one for a strike, and all that stuff goes into play. Um, a lot of times, they get knuckleballers get this uh, uh, racket that, uh, well, he must have been a first baseman, or he must have been a second baseman. Or, a lot of times, that's true because. There's no one out there scouting knuckleball guys. Everyone wants the guy who throws 98. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, so, usually a guy like Wakefield or or R.A. Dickey, guys who, um, you know, uh, didn't do well at a position and they have this pitch, well, this team already spent money on that. They so, they're like, well, something. let's see if we can get something out of them. So, um, and you got to have an organization that's willing to, to deal with that and take you on and, and deal with the ups and downs because there's a lot more of them than pure raw talent will, will show. Kind of like the guy from St. Louis a couple years ago who was a pitcher and then all of a sudden turned into a left fielder, I believe. I forget, I'm not really sure who, what his name was. Oh, and Keel. So, yeah, Rick and Keel. Well, now, he was, a, he was a dual guy, kind of oh. like this, this Atoni guy from, from Japan. Right. He could have done both. But they didn't let you do that. So when a guy throws 98, you put him on the hill. <laughs> yeah. 
and see what happens. And then that didn't work out because he got the yips, but turned out to be an all-star outfielder. You know, he did all right for himself. Yeah, unbelievable. So Wakefield's there, 91-92. How much interaction do you have with Tim Wakefield? Because everybody thinks that you learned the pitch from him. Well, I would. I had a lot of interaction with him and all the rest of the pitchers, but uh, I learned more or less from listening. Again, you know, he was nice enough that if I wanted to play catch and throw knuckleballs with him, he would do that in a heartbeat. He would do that with anybody. He's a real quiet, mild-mannered guy, but he's a great guy. He's as genuine as they come. Um, but he, uh, uh, the coaches would talk to him. Listen, this is what I see. This is what, and here I am, the sponge. I take all that in. So now I have, just like everyone else, I have a fascination of the knuckleball, just like everybody else, maybe my age or yeah, or up. So the only difference is I take it to my backyard. So everything they're talking about, I go in my yard and I'm throwing a ball into my dad's golf net <laughs> over and over and over again. And I'm working on all the stuff that Wakefield's working on. And it's, it's really not working for me. But I'm like, no, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. So uh, I learned from him, but I also learned from the coaches that were there. Spinner Williams was a real big one. Um, and, you know, even some of the players would come up to him and say, hey, listen, uh, yesterday I saw this, today I see this. And you, you hear that and you learn. You know, so as he was learning, I was kind of learning, but obviously to a, a much larger degree than him. No, any any interaction with Bonds? I know they used to come and they used to play a game. So they would play the game. They play uh, the Bisons. They play the Bisons right before the season started, and Bonds was never there. <laughs> he never, really? never showed up. No, no, he was never there. He had stuff going on. <laughs> I bet he did. Um, but those, that had to have been something because they're in their big playoff push. What was that, 92 or 93? Yeah, uh, 91, 92, I think they were. They were right there. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the guys that were in AAA ended up in the big leagues. That's, you know, people don't realize, you know, uh, a lot of times like the Bisons will do well during the year and then they lose. And they lose in the playoffs or the championship or whatever it may be. And everyone says, well, I don't know, you know, they shift their pants or whatever. And it's, they don't realize that if you're that good in AAA, you're going to be in the big leagues at the end of the year because the big leagues play another month and a half after that. So they're like, they don't care about the AAA championship. No. Get this guy up to the big leagues. If it means something, you know what I mean? If it doesn't, or if the kid's just, you know, riding it out, then then they won't. Like so a lot of those guys got called up, which was kind of neat to see guys going up and then they're playing in the big leagues and guys like Al Martin and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Pennefeather. You know, Princey was up and down all the time. He was an organizational guy and he's like, He's a big coach there now. He's like the bench coach there now. For Pittsburgh? Yeah. Uh, I would say Tom Prince is the greatest Bison to ever play. Uh, you know, uh, so good guys. All good guys. So Wait, not- for people listening, uh, like what, what What? are the ranks of going to the pros? Because I don't know anything. You know, like So uh, usually if you get drafted, you maybe you go to uh, – you'll they'll send you down to wherever their spring training complex is, and then you'll play short season, which would be the New York Penn League or whatever that is or some of the other short seasons. So they play for two months, mm-hmm. the kids that get drafted. The following year you'd go to A ball. Then there's high A. Then there's double A. Then there's triple A. And then there's the big league. So – um, you know, everyone says, oh, Jesus, there's all these jobs. Well, 
there is, but not really. Like it is a small pyramid. The the, the taller you get up there, because um, you got to remember too. Um, I mean, similar to hockey, but maybe in a broader fashion. There are so many people playing baseball. I mean, Latin America, like that's all they do. So these kids will come over and play for nothing. Um, you know, so it's not that easy. You you get everyone goes, oh, he got drafted. Well, he might only be around for the three months of short season. They'll just get rid of him. Or if you're an injury guy, you get hurt, and they're like, I don't want to deal with injury guys. At what point does somebody get an agent? Usually right away. Yeah. Um, but the agents uh, agents don't get paid until you get to the big leagues, so you make money. So it's just like you can pick, and then you're you're somebody's guy. Yeah, you know, depending on who it is, and 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 you know how big of a uh, a prospect you might be, because you can start striking deals. You know, if someone again, social media is so big now that you could be drafted in the second round. And you could be doing a Nike commercial in your neighborhood, and you know what I mean. It's just that's how it works now. So a lot of these guys try and protect themselves or see what they can do as far as uh, going that route. Uh, I obviously was never uh, nobody was beating down my door to be my agent. <laughs> <laughs> so you're there with the Bison's ninety one, ninety eight. Had to have been some great experiences, some great teams. Just tell us a, a couple of stories of interesting people that you've met along the way while you were at the Bisons, 91 to 98. Uh, you know, it'd be hard to pick. I mean, when Cleveland came through there, you talk about some players. I mean, Manny Ramirez was there, uh, Brian Giles. Uh, Tommy. Tommy, Chad OJ. Uh, I mean, Brian Anderson. They were loaded. In our Diaz. I mean, these are all guys that are, if they're not, still playing they're coaching managing bud black was one of the coaches there he's a great guy uh, you know uh, doc edwards was there and and the beauty of it is all these guys treated me like one of the players really all the time i walk in the door you know they're pulling shit on me they're doing shit on me just like they're pulling on everybody else they treated me you know they uh, the the I would say the 96 team, I think it was. They would take me on the road all the time. You know, Billy Ripken would be like, listen, you can stay with me. Normally he'd get his own room because he's Billy Ripken. He'd say, you just stay with me. You know, guys like that. Billy used to come into Mutt's or to Cochran's. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, guys like that you run into are phenomenal. I mean, and you can't you can't put a price. And it's funny because people are always, oh, you must have got a lot of uh, autographs. I don't have any autographs. No, because you're one of the boys. Yeah, so you don't think of it that way. You just kind of like roll through, you know. Um, uh, so I was I was lucky to get a group of guys that were and the coaches that treated me so great and treated me like one of the guys, and you know, also treated me to the point where listen, I was responsible. Listen, if I forgot to do something or if I was late, they were like, you know, what the fuck, you know, you're supposed to be here, you got to be here. You know, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I had a baseball game. And they'd be like, well, well, how'd you do? I went over four. Well, then don't fucking be late. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I was lucky in that. Uh, um, I can remember, I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick story. Pat Borders was a catcher here when Cleveland was here. And he was a great guy. He is former Blue Jay. Yeah. World Series hero. Yep. So uh, he's up to bat. He does not have a home run yet to this season. It's like a month and a half in the season. He, has a, he doesn't have a home run. 
That's got to be tough on a guy so, like that. Uh, guy is warming up in the bullpen. I'm warming the guy up. Well, Borders is up. I whiff on a ball. Borders hits the ball out of the park. The umpire had called timeout. Oh no way! So they call a home run back because <laughs> you because you had a pass ball. In the, I, bullpen. the ball will by me and went behind the catcher. Those, so, that, those that don't know, the bullpen at, at, is along the first baseline at Pilot Field, like in Wrigley. There's not a confined bullpen at Pilot Field or whatever the hell you want to call it now. So he's looking down on the bullpen the whole time. He knows I miss, and I'm <laughs> I won't turn around, and everyone on the in the bullpen's going. Look at Pat wants you. Pat wants you. Wave to Pat. Wave to Pat. I'm like, I ain't turning around. So I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Please just hit another ball. At least get a base hit. Strike three. You're out. <laughs> so now I have to go down. This is It gets even better. So the backup catcher, I think, was um, Jerry Goff, who would be Goff's father, the quarterback. Oh, really? And – he uh, he was playing first at the time, so I had to go down and warm up the pitcher in between innings. So now I go down there and warm up the pitcher. So as I'm warming up the pitcher, he gets his six throws, and uh, the umpire's laughing. And, and I'm like, you know, so the pitcher's just staring at me, and I'm like, well, now I turn around, and Borg's just standing there. And he's just staring at me. <laughs> and he goes, you have no idea what I'm going to do to you for the next month. <laughs> But he was pretty. He was pretty. He cool was about just it. kidding around. Yeah. He knew he was going back up to the big leagues. Like yeah, this, you know. But I wore it pretty good for 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 a little bit. You know, every time he broke a bat, it was in my clothes and everything else. So. It's not surprising, Mark, that one of the guys from you know a guy from South Buffalo is taken in from a ball club as one of the guys. Doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, one the of the way, boys. Yeah. Well, around here, too, you, people got to realize, you know, it's, it, it's a close-knit neighborhood around here, but people make you accountable for shit. Oh, absolutely. So uh, that makes you kind of stand up, fly right, and it makes you also have thick skin, which when you're in a locker room of any sport, whether you're male or female, you better have some thick skin because people are, you know, you're going to spend 120 days with somebody you know, people are going to go back and forth. So, and I think that's similar to what it's like in South Buffalo, you know, with the nicknames and people walking in the door. And if yeah. you're fat, you're fat. <laughs> you know, if you're skinny, you know, they're calling you're you too skinny. Yeah. You know, whatever it may or may not be. You got to learn how to pitch and catch. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, uh, I think that goes a long way with a lot of that stuff. So, Wakefield gone. Gannon's still around, 91, 98. But in that time, you helped out your alma mater, uh, Bishop Timon, and it's Bishop Timon St. Jude. And you're going to go and you're going to coach baseball now with uh, an old friend, Kevin Laley. Yep. Tell us a little about, about that. You're going from a bullpen catcher, being around the boys. This is probably mid, yeah, this is 94, 95. How, how does that go? Well, I, you know, um, I'm in the bullpen, and uh, uh, to to kind of go back, the Pirates had gotten me uh, a chance to sign as a catcher, and um, I went to Watertown as a catcher and uh, signed my contract, and within two days I got released after the draft because they they had drafted some catchers, and when I talked to some people, they told me flat out, "Listen, your bat's just not going to play." You just, 
you know, you can hit right now as a young man and, and, and everything else, but going forward, your bat's not going to play. You can catch. You're not going to have any problems catching. So if you want to stick it out. So I kind of took that to heart because a lot of the people that were telling me that were, were friends and, and good guys and have been around the game. So I said, all right. So I still wanted to stay in the game. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I'll keep trying to play, but in the meantime, I'll learn how to coach because I want to coach. Sure, you want to stay around the game that you love. Yeah, so I take a lot of the things that I learned from uh, from the organizations that I was involved in, whether it's Pittsburgh or Cleveland, and the coaches that I had as a young man. Um, and uh, I tried, uh, you know, uh, Timon's looking for somebody, so I put my name in. And uh, me and Jimmy had a good rapport. Jimmy Polano was running the show at that time, and um, he said, yeah, you know, we'd love to have you because it was him and John McMahon at the varsity level. And he said, listen, we'd love to have you. You know, so I was uh, uh, grateful that he gave me a chance to to almost like basically have my first coaching gig, and uh, I brought Kevin Lally along, and he uh, loves baseball, so it was it was a good fit. That's great. I was at Timon, and that's actually where I met. Yeah, I didn't play ball. I was a hockey player, and Jimmy didn't really like hockey players playing baseball, so. There was actually, you have a funny story uh, about somebody in my class that forgot their hat one day. Yeah, so like we talked about, people have to be accountable for things. So my thing was, <laughs> my thing was, listen, all I care about is that you play hard, show up on time, and be dressed and ready to go. That's all I care about. From there, if we lose, we lose. We'll win games. We'll lose games. It is what it is. You're going to have bad games. You're going to have great games. Um uh, at that time, time and enrollment started to dwindle, so we were putting teams together with minimal guys, and um, you know, so you know, like I said, I think we ended up five hundred, which was fine. Sure. So uh, a couple guys would like to show up a little late, and some of them would like to show up without their uniform, whether it's their top, which I mean, you know, or their glove. I mean, how do you forget your glove? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and as uh, an old school ball, ball player, that's got to. Eat it. Oh yeah, it kills me. You just show up. All you gotta do is have your stuff. Put it back in the bag. That's all you do. <laughs> yeah. Just like hockey. Who cares if it stinks? Just make sure it's all in there. Right. So uh one kid kept he, he was notorious. He wouldn't wear his hat on the bench. So I would always tell him, Listen, you gotta put your hat on, get put your hat on. Well, uh one day he said, Well, I don't have my hat. I said, Well, all right, make sure you bring your hat next time. So we pick up everybody in the van. Uh, may or may not have had a couple beers the night before and been out till whatever time. So I pick up Kev Lally, and we pick up the kids in the van. Now, mind you, I'm sober, so get that out of your mind. Uh, and uh, I look over, and and I go, everybody got everything? Yeah, 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 yeah. So one kid turns around and looks at me, oh, I forgot my hat. It's the same kid? Same kid. So I said, all right, no problem. And he's looking at me, and I'm like, no problem at all. So I start driving to the ballpark, and I said, you know what? I can go for a hot dog. So we go to Slime Line. It's me and Kev Lally get a couple of hot dogs for the road trip. We're going out to O'Hara. And I'm looking at the uh, uh, the young lady working, and she's got a Bill's Zubat. <laughs> so I told her, I said, hey, uh, where'd you get the hat? She said, oh, I don't know. Well, I go, how much would it cost me to buy that hat? And she goes, cost me. I go, yeah, what do you want? She goes, you don't have to give me anything. I'll just give it to you. I go, here's 10 bucks for the hat. So I gave her 10 bucks and I made that kid wear that Zuba hat for the next three games. <laughs> he had his hat in his hand every game and I said, nope, put the Zuba hat on. <laughs> Paid That's good great. money for that hat. 
Buffalo Bill Zuby. It's probably if he still has it, he'd probably sell it on eBay. Probably <laughs> nice hat. You should get the autograph here. Was it Sally's hat though? <laughs> I wonder if it was Sally's hat. So now, where's Joe Gann's about to be a bo- pro ball player? How does that happen? Well, uh, you know, I, at the same time, I was working. Uh, I was playing baseball and summer ball, and I would throw knuckleballs. Ronnie Lieb, I played for Ronnie and. He was always like, yeah, you can throw, you can throw, blah, blah, you know, whatever. Because um, our teams were usually pretty good, so we usually scored a lot of runs Where when I was letting up runs. It didn't matter. There was some mop-up doing yeah, going on. Yeah, so uh, uh, in between catching, I would I would throw the knuckleball, and then um, I was working for Rick Lancelotti at, uh, at his baseball school. And uh, Rick is, if you ever get a chance, if you ever have a kid that wants to play baseball, send him to Rick for lessons. He's the best. He's the best with kids. He's the best with parents. He's just he's he's awesome. So I'm working for Rick, and he's awesome. So one of his, he played baseball for 20 years, 25 years in minors and big leagues. So one day, one of his buddies is walking through the baseball school, and he works for the Tigers. Now at the time, the Tigers had uh, um, Sparks, who was a, a, a knuckleball guy for the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. And so this guy's name is Randy Johnson, not the same guy that we would think of. But mm-hmm. um, and I, at that time, I'm throwing a bullpen to a kid out in the baseball school. It's like nine o'clock at night, and uh, I'm just beating the daylights out of this kid. He's missing balls and everything else. So Randy comes over to me and says, "Hey, he goes, Rick told me that you play a little baseball." I'm like, "Yeah." So we start talking. He goes, can you throw that thing all the time? I go, yeah. I throw in summer ball. He goes, has anyone ever looked at you? And I said, no. He said, well, all right. So he leaves. Uh, or he doesn't leave, but we uh, we sit down. We had a couple beers and with Rick. And he's like, all right, I got to get out of here. I'm out the door tomorrow. And blah, blah, blah. So now this is January. How old are you then? Uh, at that point, I'm 26. So... Uh, he says, uh, all of a sudden I get this phone call from Rick, and he says, listen, Randy Johnson wants to talk to us. So he calls. I talk to Randy Johnson. He says, listen, the guys in Detroit want you to drive up to Detroit next week and throw for them. So I said, At the old why? ballpark? I said, why? No, it's a new one. Okay. I think this, at this point, that Yeah, yeah, ballpark. yeah. So I said, uh, oh. why? And he goes, well, I was telling about that knuckleball. You know, they they like it here, so, you know. Figure it'd be a good idea for you. So I said, shit, yeah. So I grabbed Kev Man and don't tell anyone. I don't even tell Kev Man what's going on. Oh, so he doesn't know where he's going. Nobody knows. Kev Man knows we're going to Detroit because we we're going to stay with Pat Fisher and Tim Riley. I right, said, right. And we're going to stay overnight. I've been on that run before. We're going to stay overnight in Royal Oak with Pat Fisher, oh. Tim Riley, and have a good time. Yep. I said, I only have I have one meeting in the morning. And Kev's like, you have a meeting? You. And I said, don't worry about it. So I have my bag with all my stuff in it, and we get ready to leave. Now I have to tell Kev. We're driving somewhere. I go, Kev, this is where I'm going. He's like, what? I go, yeah. So I drop him off at that Molson Canadian bar right across. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a funny story is, is so he meets the Molson rep, so he sits there and gets shit-faced, and I had to drive home. But anyway, so <laughs> I go in. I go uh, into the tunnel. I meet up with these guys. I don't know what is going on. You don't know who's going to be there. Nothing. Is Randy Johnson going to be there? No, he's not. So I don't even know who's meeting me. So I meet with Randy Smith, who was their GM at the time. 
and their pitching coach for the big leagues, who I forget his name. There's a couple guys just in there hitting, working out. They're loading the trucks to go to down to spring training. I threw 10 pitches, and the guy turned around and said, we want to bring you spring training. Really? And where's spring training? Uh, Lakeland, Florida. Okay. So uh, that was that. I went through, all the way through spring training. The last day I got released, they said, you know, you're really good, but you're a little bit older for what we want to do with you. We can't put you in AA or AAA, and that's what we want to do with someone who's 26. And then they said, but we have two friends that are coaching an independent ball. We want you to call them. We want you to see if you can keep going forward. So those two guys were Butch Hobson and Daryl Evans. Butch Hobson, f- former ball player. And Daryl Evans was the first oh, baseman. Oh, Daryl Evans, Red so, Sox, yeah. So Daryl's like, I'll take you right now in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Nice. So, great town. So I said, okay. So then I ended up in Allentown that year, and and that's when my career kind of started. Wow. It, is it is it kind of like Major League when you go to your locker and there's a pink slip inside the door? No. It's not like that <laughs> no. at all? No, it's even worse because they go, hey, uh, so-and-so wants to talk to you, and you're like, bah. They'll walk at death. Yeah. So you walk over. You know, everyone hears the guy. You know, they don't They don't walk over and tap you on the shoulder. They're like, hey, Gannon, Crayon wants to talk to you. And I'll, uh, <laughs> hey, you're getting fired. <laughs> oh, uh, so, uh, but they, the guys were great there, man. They they gave me so many innings, and, uh, you know, and they were, they were as honest as the day is long. They were like, look, we just can't, we just can't fit you into where we need to fit you in. But, you know, best of luck. And it worked out. I went to Allentown. I made, uh, Three hundred and I think twenty dollars a month. A month. I lived in my truck, in the parking lot, which my parents to this day still don't know. Wow. Yep. I uh, I ate hot dogs basically every day, and that was it. I stole Nobody. hot dogs from the ballpark and ate them. <laughs> Nobody buddies up and says, "Hey, Gannon, coming." Come well, on. at that point, they had a lot of like host families, and then there was guys that had money. Right. And guys the, that used to play and, and I was neither I was neither one of those so and I wasn't you know I wasn't gonna try and sponge off anyone but at the same time so like I think in the last month of the season uh Steve Larkin got signed and me and him knew each other he was Barry Larkin's little brother right who's still to this day a really good friend of mine and uh he was like hey man I'm staying in the hotel you want to stay with me it's <laughs> like yeah, hell yeah shower <laughs> so uh I yeah, mean, did so, you still feel like you were lucky for get, making money playing baseball? I didn't even I, I didn't even bat an eye. Yeah. So every once in a while I heard some gunfire, but then <laughs> you, know, you just pull out of the parking lot, I guess. That's <laughs> <laughs> so we go from Allentown. Where, where, what's the next stop on the gaining train here? So I go to Allentown, and then uh, Daryl Evans, actually, uh, um, and Dan DePace were the coaches. And it, we had one of the most bizarre beginnings to a season. So... At one point, we had the worst record in baseball, the whole professional baseball. Cool. But part of the reason was we had uh, the first week of the season. So independent ball basically is a breeding ground for guys to come back from injury or guys that don't get a chance to latch on to a, an organization. An organization looks at independent ball and they say, this guy's doing really well. We're going to grab that guy and bring him into our organization. So in a matter of the first, I think it was three weeks of the season, Two of our pitchers got picked up. Two of our starters got picked up to go to AAA. One of them tore his elbow and had to have Tommy John, and the other one died. <laughs> Jesus. That's a big hit to the rotation. Yeah. So 
now we're guy, grabbing. How how did this guy die? Who died? Uh, he he had the, he had a heart murmur and literally just died. The kid died in his sleep. Holy oh shit. poor fuck. Uh, you know so and he was I mean another another one of those like he if he probably would have played he probably would have got picked up too. Really? He was coming off injury and he's really good. Oh jeez. Uh, so, so where do you, who do you? So then we pick up for well, independent. So ball. now everyone's kind of just pitching in. They pick up some players that are getting released, which is okay, but not not what you designed. Uh, starting shortstop gets picked up. We fill in a guy, our catcher, who was probably the best player in the league, gets hurt towards tears his Achilles. I mean, it was one thing after another. Now, not to be selfish, the only thing was with all these guys getting picked up, I started getting all these innings in. It was like crazy because Daryl knew I'd pitch every single day. Well, right. You're throwing the knuckle. In. Well, it's not just that. I would have even if I wasn't because I'm just trying to help out. I'm Any way I can yeah. to stay on the team, I, I'm, I'll do whatever I can. So they fire Daryl midway through the season. They fire him? Yeah. So nobody on the team is happy because they don't tell us. We're going to get on the bus and we don't have a coach. And they said, well, the, your new coach will meet you on the road. And we're all like, what? And we're like, who is it? And they're like, well, we're not telling you. So now we're not going to get on the bus. Okay. Finally, they, they convince us to get on the bus. So the following year, I'm out. I leave. You've had I, enough at Allentown. Well, I, the owner was just shady. Everything was bad. So Who was the new coach? Just some schlep? Ed Ott. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, which wasn't against him. It's just, you know, uh, everyone on that team left the following year. So it was hard to find jobs. So now um, Daryl Evans calls me and says, listen. <laughs> A good friend of mine that I played with, his name is Pete Lecoq. Yep. Now, Pete Lecoq's father was uh, a game show host. This guy played in the big leagues for like 10 years. The game show host? Yeah, well, no, well, him too, maybe, but uh, Pete Lecoq did. Played for the sure Royals. he did. Um, and Ron Davis, who used to be the pitcher for the Yankees. Okay. So they have a team in Niagara Falls. There's this new Canadian baseball league, and... They're doing it professional style, blah, 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 but you're right there. So I said, all right, let me see what's going on because I had some feelers out in some of those other leagues. They call me and they go, you'll be right in a rotation. You'll be pitching number one. Just come up and do it. So I come up. I talk to them, and they're like, here, sign here. They're throwing money at people. They give me an allowance. They give me gas money to drive back and forth. They play four days a week. They take the train first class through Canada. I'm like, this is this is unbelievable. I'm like, I went from I went from sleeping in my truck to first class. So the league lasted about a month and a half. Okay, they ran out of money. Shockingly, they ran out of money. Which is a shame because Fergie Jenkins' daughter was actually running it. It was kind of a slap in the face for him because these people just mismanaged everything. Um, so now everyone's scrambling for jobs. So I actually that year. Um, what year are we going on now? Oh, 2002, 2003, something like that. I sit out the year, the rest of the year. I just go home and mm-hmm. hang out. Uh, uh, the following year, um, uh, a friend of mine calls me from Atlanta. Jay Hood uh, calls me from Atlanta and says, Hey, man, I just heard your name on the radio. Like, well, there's Joe Gannon is, isn't a common name, but it's not uncommon. I said, so, there's another former ball player from back in the day so i'm like uh, it must be somebody else he goes no man it's you he goes because it's phil necro is talking about it oh famous knuckleballer and he says you know they were talking to him about how the knuckleball was dying and is there any other guys and he said well i someone had sent me video of this kid who plays in canada 
His name's Joe Gannon, so he thinks I'm from Canada. <laughs> Bastard. Because it came from, you got to remember, we were televised on uh, CTV? CS, no, CSPM, whatever their ESPN is. TSN. TSN. Yeah. So they were those games were on. So someone sent that to Nico. So, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, whatever. So uh, about three days later, I'm like, huh. Made some phone calls to people. I get Nico's number. I call him. He invites me down to his house. Where's that? In uh, Georgia. Okay. Flowery Branch, Georgia. He says, you come down, you can throw with me. I said, well, you know, let me see. I, you know, I, I got to get money together. I got to get down there, blah, blah, blah. Jay Hood's like, you can stay with me. So I said, all right. So I fly down there. Uh, I meet up with Phil. And we go and throw at this indoor place. And he goes, I love what I see. I, I think you got a real shot. He goes, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I said, well, you can find me a job. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he said, well, you know, uh, my ties are with Atlanta, blah, blah, blah. But if anyone has any questions, you know. So uh, he goes, but what I would do is make some phone calls for people. Uh, I said, all right. So he goes, but we'll throw again tomorrow. So I throw the next day and, you know, whatever. Really goes well. I fly home, so I proceed to uh, send my video and everything out to every team. So one guy calls me and says, uh, "I put Phil's name on." Yeah, I'm I'm Nico's buddy. Asterisk, asterisk. Guy calls me and says, "Joe, this is Doc Rogers from the Baltimore Orioles. I want to bring him to spring training." I'm like, so I'm like, you know, all right. Well, I appreciate it. You know. But what do I have to do? He goes, I'm going to send you a contract in the mail, and then we'll go from there. So I, he gets all my information, and I'm, now it's like a week later. There's no contract. So I'm looking at the guy. Yeah, is this a trick for somebody? But that day, the contract came. So that's when I signed with Baltimore. What uh, do you do when you get that contract in the mail? You sign it. Jump right you, through the you fucking make, window? You make, you make 20 copies of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, you go back for me. I went back on how guys prepared themselves. All those guys from the Bisons. I start working my tail off. I mean, I was working my tail off anyway. I'm just anything I can do. You know, hey, uh, Joe, I need help moving my fridge. I can't do it. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, yeah I'm not risking it. Right, yeah, bubble ramp. Uh, yeah. Are you, you know, working on any other? That's pitches? when I stopped playing hockey. Oh, Even okay. playing um, uh, uh, for the sheriffs and everything else. I was playing hockey. I stopped because I didn't want to get clipped with a high stick. I didn't want anything bad to happen. So, um, you know, you just you work your tail off. You get down there. You walk in the door, and the first thing they say is, um, maybe high A, double A, depending on what we have, but your age is going to play here. So we're going to need you in double A. You're going to have to beat out all the guys in double A, and it's going to be tough. We're just letting you know. Why well, is the age such a big deal if you could throw a good knuckleball? Well, I – People have come a long way with that, so they've since differed from that. Like, age isn't that big of a deal. But the big deal is, if you're 26, how long do we wait for you to get it? Do we wait to 30? Now, if I'm 20, oh, I yeah. can wait there's a lot of There's a lot of patience there. And they got other kids that they spend money on. You know, I'm an add-on guy. I didn't get a signing bonus when I went there. I got a contract. What, do you, what are you getting paid? For the what do the Orioles contract? What did he uh, get there? Uh, I think for a ball it was thirteen hundred. Double A would have been fifteen. And I think triple would have been twenty five hundred. A month or a yeah, week? A month. a month, really? Yeah. Now yeah. it's since gone. 
way oh, up. Yeah, yeah. Since the home run derby. But and all that. Uh, if I'm in there for two years, because I don't have any experience, so if I'm there two years, it goes up automatically. It has to. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, I went down there and literally didn't let up a hit in 14 innings, and they sent me right to Triple A, which probably was the worst thing that ever happened. Why? You think you should have been eased along a little I bit? I probably should have been better off learning a little more about the pitch itself at a lower level, whereas I'm playing I'm, I'm playing against big league guys. You know, yeah, these guys are waiting me out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, Mark, I'll tell you, while that's going on, Western New York is rooting the hell off for Joe Gannon. I mean, he there, there's their story. Bucky Gleason did a story on him. Great pub, great story so far. And guess what? Now he's coming home to pitch against the Bisons. Ooh. So you come home. What a shitty day. I was there. That was a that was a dreary day if yeah. I ever see one. Well, it was fun. So we all, you know, I, I find out that they load up the buses at Doc's Pizza. <laughs> and they come down to watch me pitch. And I threw okay. I think I let up three runs. I lost three or four runs and I lost, but... Um, to have the people that I had there supporting me, they ran out of beer on the third base side. They ran out of beer, Mark. <laughs> the guys at uh, the guys on Ottawa, because that's who the AAA affiliate was at that time. When when I came out to pitch, and the place was was boring, oh, like wild. They were like, "What did you know?" We just came from Ottawa. Put it this way: it's April. We came from Ottawa, and it was twenty degrees warmer in Buffalo. Wow. So it was so cold. There was nobody in the stands in Ottawa. Like, there's like four people there. Two of them are scouts. And then the <laughs> and other guy, some guy yells. No, the other two guys might have been the pitchers that are uh, <laughs> uh, registering radar gun rating. So, so uh, people are there. They're hooting. They're howling. They're yelling. They're, I mean, Mark, it is the best Bisons game I've ever been to. And the, we're not rooting for the Bisons. Everybody's right. rooting for Ottawa Lynx. Yeah. Ottawa Lynx. Oh, man, I, I think you, you struck out somebody in the first end of the inning. A place went nuts. But now, a catcher, it's so tough to catch a knuckleball if you're not used to it, correct? Yeah. Well, his his partner behind the plate, he's not having a good day. He didn't have a good day. Joe might not say that. He had a shit day, and we're letting him. Now we're getting pissed. <laughs> like, I think you struck a guy out, and he missed it. A guy got on first. That run scored, and... You know, everybody's a, a baseball expert in the stands that day with some blue lights in them. you like, you know, his ERA would be half what it is now if that guy <laughs> would catch the goddamn ball. So, I mean, that I don't know if you knew what was going on up there, but, oh, what a time I had. That, that's the best Bison's game. Uh, yeah, that's the best Bison's game I've ever been to. And it, it was great to root for a, a hometown guy. And I, I kind of knew, knew Joe a little bit. So that, that's fun. You don't see somebody you know play in a professional setting, hardly ever. You but, know, I mean, was that the coolest thing for you? Was just coming home and and having yeah, here? yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, you know, my parents were there. So what kid doesn't dream about playing a professional sport at, at any level and then have their parents there? Right. You know, have their uncle there or whoever it may be. A team you worked for before and you were yeah, close to your organization. Absolutely. You know, um, anybody here from. 
anybody from the Bison still there at that point? Like, hey, Joe, great to see you. Uh, give you a, that a boy or anything? No, I mean, guys that work there, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as far as players in that. Yeah, no, they're all gone. Yeah, uh, a couple of coaches were rolling through there at the time, and uh, but they, uh, you know, they all said some stuff. Terry Clark was a pitching coach there. And he was, uh, you know, he came up to me and said, "Man, this is awesome." So it was neat. It was it was great. I wish I would have done better. Obviously, not just that game, but all the games. But uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I was, you know, it was great. I, it was probably one of the only. I mean, anyone who tells you that they're uh, when they get on the mound in front of people, the first pitch that they're not nervous is they're blind. One hundred percent. But that's probably the first time. That I had to put my face in my glove after I struck someone out. So when I struck that guy out to end the inning, yeah, my face went right to my glove because I was so excited. Oh yeah, I bet. You know, so that's like the only time that's ever happened to me. I mean, and and that includes throwing a no hitter and everything else. That was literally the only time that I had that kind of adrenaline to where I was like, I didn't know what to what, what to do. Like, I was like, you know, gotta, oh. you know, where am I at? So Couple people I was with didn't know what to do either. I, I, we were shit faced so, by the end of the two. Uh, uh, but it was it was it was fun. It was a you know it was a great time. Again, like, like I said, I wish I would have been doing doing better, not just that game, but throughout the season because I struggled. You know. So you keep bouncing around, and you end up with the Newark Bears in 2004 Independent League, and you walk into the clubhouse, and there's an actual Hall of Famer on your team. Tell us a little about that. All right, so uh, after I got released, I came home for a little bit and uh, told myself, you know, I'm going to just take a minute and see if this is something I definitely want to do. And, you know, after about a week, I was like, no, I got to, I, I can't go out struggling. I, if I go out, I got to go out, you know, doing something halfway decent. So I make phone calls to organizations. And there was a couple scouts that uh, I befriended while I was there. And uh, one of them was Mike Toomey, who was a great guy, another guy, Pat Gillick. And they said, listen, just go, go play some independent ball somewhere. Go to the Atlantic League. That's more AAA. You know, there's big leaguers there and, and, and see where it's at. So I called a couple people I knew there. Doc Edwards was a coach there who was a coach at the Bisons when I was there. Bill Madlock was a coach there who was a coach with the Bisons when I was there. Bill Madlock called me back right away and said, look, it, I'll bring you in. I can't guarantee you anything, but I can give you at least two starts because we got guys that are hurt. I said, I'll take whatever I can get. I drive down to Newark. My truck breaks down <laughs> as I pull into Newark. I'm supposed to pitch that night. Wow. Okay, so I'm calling, and I finally get someone in the front office, this uh, Melissa, and I go, Melissa, uh, my truck broke down. And she's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just an intern. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you, but I can't get to the ballpark. And she's like, where are you? So I tell her. So, like, four interns come and pick me up on the side of the highway. My truck gets towed. I pull into the, the uh, stadium. The game's starting at 7 o'clock. I'm there. It's, like, 6.20. And you've not, you haven't been there. I haven't even been there. I haven't this is anybody. just like Allentown. This is Joe Gannon fashion, huh? So, I walk in, and I tell him, I, you know, where's, where's Mad Dog? So I come walking in, and he's laughing. And, and Mad Dog, he's a great guy. He's funny. He's real laid back, you know. So he's like, well, do you still want to pitch? I said, hell yeah. He goes, all right, because after that one, you only got one, like one other start, so you better do it. <laughs> I go, all right. <laughs> so I go out and I pitch well. Um, and uh, I came off the field, and uh, he says, uh, you know, you know, nice job, blah, blah, blah. 
Ricky Henderson comes walking up to me, and the first thing he says to me is, "Really? That's as fast as you can fucking throw." <laughs> <laughs> so that's your, that's how you meet Ricky Henderson, yeah. the best base stealer of all time. So walks up. We're laughing because he didn't say anything to me during the game. And, well, he was DHing too, so so yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, what a character, what a great character for the game. And he was one of the most knowledgeable guys you'll ever meet i mean you know everyone uh, gives him a rap of uh, uh being silly or maybe not smart or he's yeah, got every old root story he's got know. every nickel he's ever made oh yeah he's cheap, he, cheap, huh? no, no no not at all but he's smart he's smart with his money he's got a ranch out in california you know he's he's sharp you know he's he's a lot sharper than he leads on or leads people to believe but he is uh uh I mean, he could tell you when a guy was stealing. He could tell you pop times, uh, what a guy throws a second without even looking at a, a stopwatch. He could tell you when a pitcher was thrown over, you know, before they were doing it. I mean, just, you know, really smart baseball guy. But what a character. I mean, a riot. He was a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun in the clubhouse. He took care of guys that didn't have money. We went out somewhere. He bought, you know, he That's was great. that guy. Yeah, he That's was, really great to hear. Yeah, and you don't hear that a lot. You know, guys probably keep that to themselves. He's not going to brag about it, but he took care of the guys that need to be taken care of. And, um, you know, uh, you talk about being accountable. We used to play cards, and it was uh, uh, we would play like uh, two card hands. So the high card wins, that's it. mm-hmm. and it'd be a quarter of a hand, and we would just keep track of it on a pad. If you owe him fifty cents, he would come in the next day as loud. You got my jits. <laughs> loud as he could. Loud as he could. We used to we used to staple it on your uh, your locker or stick it to your locker. Fifty cents. I mean, this is two thousand and four. How old's Rick? I mean, he's got he's be- about forty seven years old, and he stole forty bags that year. Ooh. And and like some of them are standing up. Ricky steals second. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky talked about Ricky a lot, huh? Ricky was great. <laughs> Ricky was great. He was the only guy I know that wore a thong in the shower. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Ricky didn't like to share no, it. Oh, huh? he was a good dude. He was, uh, he was, like I said, he was a good guy. You know, it's funny, too, because um, he didn't travel on the bus with us because he couldn't. Why is that? Because it would just, like, it was out of control how many people would be waiting for him at the hotel and stuff. Oh yeah, out of control. Well, yeah, because you you go to these small towns and it's. Did he attract a lot a lot of players? Yeah, he helped that league out a lot. Oh, I bet. You know, is that kind of why guys like that do that, or are they doing it for the love of the game? No, well, he got picked back up, went to the Dodgers. Yeah, he he, in a big league. He went to the Dodgers and then finished in San Diego. So uh, they're still playing because they want to play. Like he took it serious. Uh, You know, I was lucky enough. I threw a no hitter that year. Really? Okay. And that was the first game in two months that Ricky played the outfield. He caught the last three outs. Two of them were diving catches. Wow. And I have the video of it. Some kid did it for school, was videoing the game. He just happened to be videoing it. He videoed the game and sent it to me. So his last three catches. So he's running uh, to the foul line to catch balls. You know, he's diving for balls for me. For me. The guy who doesn't throw hard enough. Is this your only no-hitter? No, I have two. Two, oh man! But that was the first one I ever threw. But and Ricky Henderson was back. Does, you does Ricky Henderson hand you the ball? Yes, at the very end of the game. Wow! He comes up to me and hands me the ball. Oh my god! Still got that? Uh, yeah, I gave it to my dad. I sent it to my dad. My dad that that's great. That 
See, that's what oh, we're talking about. Wow, here, that's Marky. hustle. That is some little crazy hustle. hustle. Still hustling. Still, we got this. We got the power play. You're still hustling on. Can you tell us about this? This is a data collection for uh, youth sports here. Yeah, uh, it's called uh, Power Player. So uh, you can go to thepowerplayer.com and it kind of explains it. But we started with hockey. It's me, Steve Cull, uh, Brendan Staub, uh, and a couple of uh, close friends from out of town are partners in it. And basically, it's four kids. I mean, it could be for adults as well, but it's a data aggregation. Basically, it's collecting data for your kids that you control, you you keep. The coaches input data, and it's like having a, a, a report card for your kids as they go through sports so that they can get better, uh, so that they can uh, uh, the sports get better, the coaches get better, the parents and the coaches have a good understanding of what's going on in practice and in games. Um, it helps with communication, but it, again, most of all, it helps the kids. It helps them get better. It helps them see where they stand, what they need to work on, how they need to work on it, um, and they own it. The parents and the kids own the data. So the, the coaches input it. They're the only ones that input, and then it moves with them. You know, um, And uh, we love it because, it's like I said, it's helping kids. There's a bunch of hockey teams using it. We're in the process of moving on to baseball, lacrosse, soccer, and basketball in our next round. Um, and we're worldwide. I mean, there's uh, guys bringing it over to China right now for hockey and, uh, you know, Sweden. So uh, it's so far so good. It's working out good. It's baby steps. But, again, it's um, it, we need people to be on board. We need the parents to be on board. We need the coaches to be on board. And, you know, the incentive is – how can I get better as a player? How can I get better as a coach? How can I get better with communication with parents and coaches? Right, like making it the industry standard for each coach to, you know, move move a player along to a pro level. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, everyone's the next Patrick Kane, so uh, maybe uh, maybe it's not necessarily to be the next Patrick Kane. Maybe it's just to be the best Joe Gannon I could be. You know, yeah. to get to get me to be better. I mean, ultimately, that's all coaching is is. What can I do today to get this kid to be a little bit better so that maybe he enjoys the sport more and the sport grows bigger because kids enjoy it. And instead of playing a video game, they go outside and play the game. That's that's right. great right there. That's a great and point. Then, and then you're bringing in technology to it so you can go on your iPad and be like, hey, I my my curves are moving. I, I moved up in this. I did this better. And you get to see that stat. Nobody else does. And like you were saying, like another player can't see your stats, but they can see – who the top players are. Yeah, where they, they can stand. see that dot that says, this guy is a 96 and I'm an 86, and I could probably be a 96 if I worked on A and B. Mm-hmm. I think well. it's the best tool in youth sports right now. I tell everybody about it. Unfortunately, I coach the, the older at 18, so it's a little tougher. He's more going towards maybe 12, 13. So you, you using say, it? Joe? You using it and getting that report from another. That would be great if I was handed something like this. I think Joe's going to make a million dollars on this. And then, you know. Well, I, I think, you know, even like we have uh, schools now, uh, whether it's colleges or high schools now that are, are going to start using it because they want to take the kids that are either on the club level or the JV level and they want the coaches inputting stuff so that if they're looking to bring move kids up or, or they know they that can these kids have to. It. Yeah, they can. And they can also say, "Listen, if this if you do this, I I can I can bring you up. But if you can't do this, uh, whatever it may be, I, how can I validate bringing you up instead of uh, the guy next to you who's doing all these things correct? 
I, I think it's a great in, invention tool, whatever you want to call it. You, we were talking earlier that the local golf clubs may be able to use this power they're, player. They're, you know, we we so we we have a, a, a plethora of patents, not only on sports but in, in other areas that we think that people can use it. I don't think there's an area that if you can track any kind of data. Then you'll be able to use this system. You know, we can fashion it to, to you using it. Um, you know, whatever it is. You know, whether it's senior golfers, whether it's little kid golfers, you know, whether it's radar, whether it's just the speed of the kid running. You know, uh, whatever it may be, if you can track it, it can go in there, and people can learn from it and get better from it in whatever it is that they're doing. I, I can't say enough about it, Marky. I. I great tool and it's good to see guys staying involved with the game and helping other aspects of it like joe joe i there's something very serious i want you to talk about we have an upcoming fundraiser that we will have this out before the fundraiser tell us a little about what you and your friends do in the area that i i think is one of the the greatest fundraisers of the year here in western new york all right, so uh, a friend of ours, um, Timmy Riley, uh, his son was diagnosed with spinal mu muscular atrophy. Um, and uh, since that happened, uh, Timmy went on the go to uh, get the research, get into finding out ways to cure this and to help kids to get through it. Um, so they have these, it's called SMART, Spinal Muscular Atrophy Research Team. That's what it stands for. Um, and they have these smart parties throughout the country to raise funds for the research. Um, our party in Buffalo raises more money than the rest of the parties combined in the state, in the, in the country. Rather. That's great. Okay, so that just that's a tribute to Buffalo, not just South Buffalo. But, I mean, obviously the main thing is South Buffalo, but we get people from everywhere. Mm -hmm. They're coming into this thing and donating and, and everything else. Um, Marty Maloney heads it up here uh, uh, with Katie Gavin and a lot of other volunteers. You know, I'm just a small cog in it, but uh, but there are so many cogs that it goes off without a hitch. It's down at the arena. It's on Saturday. It's always the first Saturday in August. This year is the 4th. Yes, mm -hmm. Saturday, at, August 4th. At 1 o'clock it starts. There are so many. I mean, the basket raffles, it's out of your mind. I mean, there's there's things there that you would never that are. If you go to another benefit, they're in a silent auction. We don't do that. Everyone gets a chance at everything. Fair crack. Fair crack at everything. You're going to roll through some things that you you couldn't even imagine would be there. Um, that aside, there's beer there. There's pop. It is kid-friendly. There's yeah, bounce they, houses. There's uh, a they face do a painting. Good, good job with keeping the kids busy. This isn't just an adult party. You can take the kids. I've been there, Mark. It's great. I'm going to be there this year. Uh, cotton candy, all the goodies, you know, and you're not paying for that. When you walk in the door, you buy a ticket, you're done. Uh, Lenovo supply, uh, supplies pizza for everybody. We have chicken wings from Lenovo, Minio's, O'Daniel's, Potter's. Uh, can you dig it? Um, Blaisdell Pizza. Ever. Um, uh, it's great to see Blackthorn and Docs, uh, uh, Docs as well. Oh, so wow. I mean, these are just, and that's just chicken wings. And yeah. that's I know, mean, there's other guys other other things stuff. that are yeah. People are donating gift certificates and money and and like I said, it's a it's not just there uh, uh, just for that money. 
but it's it's such a good time for your family and people to get together. You know, it's it's funny because we always equate it to, um, you know, on St. Patty's Day, the ward parade. Right. People come in from out of town for the ward parade. Like, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in 10 years. You know, he was at uh, the Blackthorn for, you know, after the ward parade. So you see all those people. It's kind of the same thing. It's smart now. It's gotten to the point where people come in from out of town so that they can be here for it. And it's it's a great event. It's good. It's uplifting. It's fun. It's not a, a downer thing. It's it's everyone there has a so smile positive. on their face. Yeah. Uh, um, especially Marty Maloney because the, the year's worth of work for him it's, is over finally. So. Yeah. yeah. It's good to see Marty having a beer at the end there and maybe at a certain pub after, too. He deserves it. Joe, always a pleasure to talk to you. Very interesting. You've been licensed to talk, Joe, and if there's anything we can do for you, we will. Thanks for hustling. Uh, yeah, keep grinding. Keep grinding, Joe. Love I can it. do that. I can do that. All right, brother. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Joe. This has been License to Talk. Follow us on Twitter at License2T.